Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We actually have a good martini today. If you had asked us yesterday, I would not have predicted that, but we have good, bad, and crazy. Obviously, those of you who listened to us yesterday, as we explained in the podcast, know that the death toll of American service members ended up much worse than at the time we recorded yesterday. It was just three known casualties at that time. 13 American dead, uh, including 10 Marines, uh, an Army soldier, uh, a Navy corpsman, and uh, one other unidentified service personnel. But just a horrible, horrible day. And of course, now it's August 27th. Uh, That leaves four days left to try to evacuate as many people as possible while protecting our troops at the same time. Things are very, very dicey over there, but we actually have a good martini, and it's courtesy of uh, ABC News and really uh, some amazing veterans of America's special forces. Uh, ABC story reads this way. With the Taliban growing more violent and adding checkpoints near Kabul's airport, an all-volunteer group of American veterans of the Afghan war launched a final daring mission on Wednesday night dubbed the Pineapple Express to shepherd hundreds of at-risk Afghan elite forces and their families to safety, members of the group told ABC News. Moving after nightfall in near-pitch-black darkness and extremely dangerous conditions, the group said it worked unofficially in tandem with the United States military and U.S. Embassy to move people, sometimes one person at a time or in pairs, but rarely more than a small bunch inside the wire of the U.S. military-controlled side of Hamid Karzai International Airport. The Pineapple Express's mission was underway Thursday when the attack occurred in Kabul. There were some people in this Pineapple Express operation injured in the blast, uh, and they're still some trying to figure out if any had been killed. As of Thursday morning, the group said it had brought in as many as 500 Afghan special operators, assets, and enablers and their families into the airport in Kabul overnight, handing them each over to the protective custody of the U.S. military. And those 500 are on top of 130 others rescued over the past 100 days. So, Jim, I feel like this should have been part of our official operation, but uh, amazing work done by our special ops veterans here and uh, the military and, and diplomatic people who helped them along the way. I was going to say, you, you really nailed the bitter aftertaste to what is otherwise an excellent martini. This is what we've come to expect from uh, America's military. This, this was kind of, We almost kind of expected this story. And the fact that we have not heard about this nearly as much by current special operation forces doesn't mean that it hasn't been going on. We have heard from the Pentagon occasional vague descriptions of this and we just kind of have to I, I assume this sort of work is going on behind the scenes and in secret but this kind of massive effort uh that you know one of the uh, persons involved compared to the underground railroad really is like one of the few inspiring and and you know just a, a moment that restores your faith in humanity this is the best of america this is what we've kind of come to expect from the u.s military maybe we took it for granted but uh Again, it just is a little unnerving to hear about guys who are veterans, guys who are retired, guys who are, you know, quote unquote, out of the game, jumping back into duty and doing this and doing this under extremely dangerous circumstances. The fact that they felt the need to do this underlines in red that Biden's assurance that we were prepared for every contingency 
clearly you weren't. If you had to depend on these guys, you were not prepared for every contingency. And thank God for these hundreds of Afghans that uh, these guys were willing to do this. They should never pay for a beer for the rest of their lives. No, absolutely, absolutely right. And uh, I should uh, point out another Radio America podcast, uh, uh, Sarah Carter, who you might know from um, Fox News. She reports from the border a lot. She's also did a lot of reporting from Afghanistan over the years when she was working for the Washington Times, Washington Examiner, and so forth. Her husband is a uh, permanently wounded, blinded uh, special ops uh, soldier. And so they have a ton of contacts, and it, you'd be amazed. They call it the digital Dunkirk, the people of former uh, troops, uh, reporters, uh, intel, and some current people in those positions, uh, congressional office staffers, just rose up uh, just ad hoc because the government was completely unprepared for this. And it's good to know that the, the military and some of the diplomatic corps was part of this, so that's more encouraging than I thought it was. But uh, again, the fact that we have these people who have the contacts, have the wherewithal, and have the street smarts to get this done is just amazing. But Jim, I thought the Taliban was on our side. I thought we could trust them to secure, yet we have to do this cloak and dagger, uh, dangerous run through the night because of the Taliban? Yeah, look, you know, the Taliban, which is a terrorist group, put the Haqqani Network, which is a terrorist group, in charge of Kabul, and we've effectively trusted them to protect our people from ISIS-K, which is another terrorist group. So if you're scoring this at home, the U.S. is counting on a terrorist group subcontracting a terrorist group to protect our people from a terrorist group. How could this possibly go wrong, Greg? Yeah, if not for yesterday's horrific uh, events, that would actually be funny. It's not funny anymore, and it's just unbelievable Every contingency was planned for, please. And we'll talk about that more in our next martini as well. But uh, let's talk about something uh, wonderful for your kitchen. If you're serious about cooking, you should invest in your kitchen tools. And Maiden has the best products available anywhere. Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. Uh, I got the stainless steel skillet. I've talked uh, a lot about how I love the even heat as I make my scrambled eggs. But some of you are probably out there saying... Greg, it's scrambled eggs. It's not that complicated. What else can you do with this thing? Well, yesterday, Mrs. Columbus uh, made some steaks uh, because our grill is on the fritz. And so she seared the steaks uh, in the made-in pan. And then she actually put the pan in the oven to complete the, the process absolutely delicious. And so Made In was the obvious choice for that little move. She said she kind of felt like a gourmet chef uh, with that little technique and everything turned out great. Made In produces professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Made In products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven, as Greg described. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have more than 32,000 five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants all around the world. Made In is better cookware for better meals. And right now, Made In is offering three Martini Lunch listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code MARTINI. This is the best discount available anywhere online for Made In products, so don't miss it. Go to madeincookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI for 15% off your first order. That's madein, M-A-D-E-I-N, cookware.com slash martini and use the promo code MARTINI. 
So, Jim, yesterday was just a horrific day all around when it came to Afghanistan, and our last two martinis will focus on this as well. Some uh, reaction, of course, is sadness, some is rage, some is frustration, and some is just smacking yourself in the forehead. How can people be this stupid? And we got original wind of this from Laura Seligman, a Pentagon reporter over at Politico. And then she uh, wrote up the story along with her colleagues, uh, Andrew Desiderio, if I'm saying that correctly, and Alex Ward. U.S. officials in Kabul gave the Taliban a list of names of American citizens, green card holders, and Afghan allies to grant entry into the militant-controlled outer perimeter of the city's airport, a choice that's prompted outrage behind the scenes from lawmakers and military officials. Detailed to Politico by three U.S. and congressional officials, uh, the move was designed to expedite the evacuation of tens of thousands of people from Afghanistan as chaos erupted in Afghanistan's capital city last week after the Taliban seized control of the country. It also came as the Biden administration admitted it's been relying on the Taliban for security outside the airport. But... People are not happy with this at all. One defense official quoted as saying, basically, they just put all those Afghans on a kill list. It's just appalling and shocking and makes you feel unclean. And if that didn't make you feel uneasy enough, here's Joe Biden at his press conference yesterday, uh, letting it be known he has no idea what's happening with this. I can't tell you with any certitude that there's actually been a list of names. I know there may have been, but I know of no circumstance. It doesn't mean it's not didn't exist that here's the names of 12 people, they're coming, let them through. It could very well have happened. And uh, so, Jim, we'll talk much more about Biden's press conference in a moment, but this is just stupefyingly dumb here. I mean, I know on some level, given what's happened, there has to be some sort of collaboration with the Taliban, but giving them a list of thousands of Afghans that they want to kill has to be one of the dumbest things yet in this whole saga. If you watch the movie Argo, uh, which is about six Americans who managed to get out of the U.S. embassy in Tehran right as the angry mob of Ayatollah Khomeini supporters was bursting through the gates. They, they slipped out through a side door, ended up on the streets, and eventually found refuge in the residence of the Canadian ambassador. Um, the, the film dramatizes things a little bit, but the general outline of the story is accurate, uh, that it was a genuine... Uh, you know, probably one of the finest hours of the CIA. And one of the aspects of the story that made it so fearful was that the fear that the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini's supporters and the people taking hostages would know everybody who was in the uh, embassy and figure out who was missing, right? So one of the first things that they burn in these scenes of people frantically uh, putting documents into shredders and burning things is they, you don't want the other guy to know who your people are and how many there are what their names are, and all of that kind of useful information. And we're just handing it to the Taliban, who we know are running around trying to kill people, and in many cases have managed to successfully track down Afghans who worked for Americans and killed them to make examples of them. Now, Greg, in today's Morning Jolt newsletter, I kind of walked through this for months now. Reporters have been asking Joe Biden, when he is willing to take questions, do you trust the Taliban? And Biden keeps insisting that he does not. Back on July 8th and in the interview with Stephanopoulos and, and even yesterday. But the weird thing is, is that we say I mean, Biden keeps saying he doesn't, but we keep having policies that act as if we do. And I'm just kind of left befuddled. You know, we're, we're, you, know we, you could say, look, you know, Taliban controls the territory outside the uh, airport. We just don't have any. We, we just have no choice but to cooperate with them. 
And oh, by the way, as, as Biden keeps emphasizing, you know, Taliban and ISIS-K, by the way, the K is for Khorasan, which is a region of uh, uh, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and, and Central Asia. Um, Biden keeps emphasizing that the Taliban and ISIS-K are enemies and that they, they don't like each other. And I, I, I'll take not just him and his word on that. I'll just, you know, U.S. counterterrorism experts say that. But I really wonder if there's an enemy of my enemy, you know, is my friend type situation here. Just how motivated is the Taliban to stop ISIS-K from killing American soldiers, killing Americans trying to get out of the country and killing Afghans who work with the Americans, who the Taliban have marked for death? The the only, you know, on some level, well, don't kill that person. We intended to kill that person. That's the that, you know, there's something very bizarre here. And even if you believe that the Taliban is motivated to stop ISIS-K attacks against Americans, it seems very fair to ask, how capable is the Taliban of stopping ISIS-K attacks against Americans? Um, I look, you know, I I, in today's drill, I lay out all the horror stories of what the Taliban is doing. Um, Every bit the abuses that they were notorious for, including Greg, I, I. Words I did not want to use on this podcast. Apparently, they're reportedly having sex with corpses. Now, if the force you're depending upon to enforce a secure perimeter around the airport needs to be told, don't have sex with corpses, I don't think you really have a secure situation. I don't think this is somebody you can rely on. And we keep getting told over and over again, no, but this is in the Taliban's interest. Are we sure? Yesterday, when the terror attacks killed Americans, and killed so many innocent Afghan people. Did the Taliban lose anything? I don't. I didn't see any casualties listed to them. They may have lost a little prestige. They may have lost a little bit of, uh, you know, the public sense that they're in control of the streets and things like that. But they didn't. They didn't lose any. But that's no skin off their nose. What do they care if ISIS K is going around killing people that the Taliban wanted to kill themselves? The only thing I can think of is like, oh, frustration. We didn't get to kill those guys first. I just don't believe that the Taliban is going to put an enormous amount of effort into preventing attacks against Americans. That's the, they were just fighting the Americans. The Americans were just bombing them. We have, you know, we have just suddenly, and I suspect entirely out of desperation, put all the safety of all of our people in the hands of the Taliban and hoping for the best. And the really bizarre thing, Greg, was that yesterday, first question to Biden, do you feel like there was a mistake in being dependent upon the Taliban to secure the perimeter of the airport? And Biden said, no, I don't. He says, it's in their interest that we are able to leave on time, on target. If they failed on security on Thursday, why do we think they're going to do better on Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday? It makes absolutely no sense. And there's no way to justify it. I, I'm, I'm just beside myself, Greg. When have Islamic extremists, Islamic terrorists ever followed our logic pattern? It's a, oh, you know, this one's Sunni and this one's Shia. They could never, ever work together. And then we find out that all kinds of, you know, uh, people and material and bomb making materials and stuff like that were coming in through Iran to fight our guys in, in, in Iraq. It's as if they teach one course on these groups and nobody's ever allowed to update their information. And nobody's ever allowed to contemplate, ah, you know what, maybe somebody in this group is uh, fine with the other group working with them. Maybe they see a common enemy in us and the people and the Afghans who like us and they are privileged. It's, it's just utterly, utterly maddening. 
incredible, incredible. But this this martini gets worse uh, because we're not done with it yet. Uh, Two-fisted martini here. That was the first part, and that's probably the worst part. But there's more that's also bad because, Jim, you talk in the Morning Jolt today about how we've pretty much stopped allowing uh, lawful permanent residents or green card holders through the gates now. It's U.S. citizens only. Uh, as listeners may recall, I have a reader who worked for a defense contractor over in Afghanistan, and that company employed thousands of Afghans. Um, and every day I'm, I'm waiting for, I, I, I want to hear how things are going with him. And I kind of dread hearing how things are going for him because the news never seems all that good. Uh, last, late last night brought a really depressing update in that he has a whole bunch of his former colleagues or now some of them moved on to other companies and stuff. And they've all just like stopped doing their day jobs and they're spending every available waking hour trying to get people out of the country. They did get through to somebody at the State Department and they're trying, they're giving them the State Department person's like, you know, sir, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that. I can't help you with that. And I guess this was in reference to Afghans who are on the special immigration visas. And I guess those folks have been pushed to the back of the line because there are a lot of anecdotes of people with those visas who are just not able to get through to the airport. Either the Taliban won't let them through and if the Taliban find your papers, they'll beat the hell out of you and or kill you. And even in some cases, US soldiers and in some cases, State Department people not allowing them to go through. But then... The anecdote that was just so disturbing that one of his colleagues did get through to the uh, State Department and said, okay, look, uh, you can't do anything about the special immigration visas. How about permanent residents? And the State Department operator responded, only U.S. citizens. And then the phone call ended. Now, over on the website of the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan, it still says our first priority is U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents of the United States, along with eligible family members. Frito, I assume most of the listenership is familiar with this, but basically lawful permanent residence is like not just, oh, you got a special visa for lawful permanent resident is your last step before U.S. citizenship. And under the law, you know, the Charlie Cook is one of my uh, colleagues who born over in the U.K. Now he's, you know, full, full-fledged American citizen. But he was a green card holder for a long time. And he says, look, when you get a green card, you are getting permission to live in the United States for the rest of your life. It's not a visa. It's not a temporary permission slip. It's permanent residency. And Charlie argued, as Americans, we have a duty to bring the people we have welcomed to America forever back to where they belong, home. And Greg, look, based on this anecdote, that appears to no longer be the policy of the Biden administration. I really think they're going to say, look at all the U.S. citizens we got, we got out, and then hand wave away the observation that a lot of U.S. green card holders got left behind. All right, let's talk about my pillow now, because... Uh... We have to get some rest in between these uh, horrific days here. So let's uh, talk about the great products at MyPillow. Uh, I love the pillow. Best pillow I've ever had. I love the towels. Love my slippers. But there's also the Giza Dream Sheets, uh, which are our favorites as well. Nothing better than slipping into bed with the soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. And the great Giza Dream Sheets are not only available, but they're on sale. For a limited time, you'll receive 50% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $49.99. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. It's available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. 
Now for a limited time, you can save 50% on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click the radio listeners square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or use that code when you call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $49.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. So don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, we mentioned that Joe Biden either doesn't know anything about the list of people we gave to the Taliban, or he uh, just didn't want to talk about it. As usual, he was late for his press availability yesterday, and it came about seven hours after the bombing itself. But uh, he finally did go out, and let's just say it was not a reassuring performance. Uh, He was slow. The words seemed to stumble together. At one point, his teleprompter may have cut out, and he looked uh, very lost and eventually went to the crash copy on the podium. Uh, There was just very little that projected strength. A lot of people thought it projected weakness. Uh, He still talked about, we're not going to forgive, we're not going to forget, we're going to hunt you down and make you pay at a time of our choosing, but we're also going to leave and we're also going to get everybody out. It was all very confusing, but uh, he just didn't look up to the task. And I know we talked about this last week and you've taken some grief for this, but the fact that the press isn't talking about this is just amazing. And it's the press part of the uh, of, of the availability that was the most amazing, because here's what Biden said when it came time for questions. Ladies and gentlemen, they gave me a list here. The first person I was instructed to call on was Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. I've been given a list and I've been instructed to call first on Kelly O'Donnell of NBC. And Jim, we've talked before, usually presidents have a list. That's not unusual. But the way that Biden just kind of uses it as a major crutch and he uses this bizarre language of, well, this is what they told me to do. Uh, in addition to everything else we saw yesterday, just very, very concerning. Yeah, I was going to say, for everyone who objected to that piece, was it last week? It feels like life, you know, every day feels like a year. And you think, oh, this can't be dementia. Oh, this can't be Alzheimer's. This can't be... Okay, fine. All right. But Biden went out there and managed to speak in mostly complete sentences for a long period. And let's also grant that this would be an exceptionally difficult day for any president. Sure. No president wants to go out and announce that U.S. servicemen have been killed. Uh, in an active mission that ultimately came, you know, because of his orders. And uh, it's really kind of hard to look this. We're, we're leaving because the Biden administration made that decision. That's this is, you know, this is ill Let's kind of just at least acknowledge, though, we have a guy who's 78 is going to be 79 in a few months. Clearly, the, the way you heard people describing it over the last couple of years is these vague euphemisms of he's lost a little speed on his fastball or he, he's not as quick on his feet as he used to be. All right. I would not doubt the last few weeks have been immense pressure and immense stress. I would not be surprised if he's not sleeping very well. I would imagine his briefings and updates are going late into the night, and I suspect uh, he's got to wake up early. He may well be getting woken up in the middle of the night with updates of what's going on on the ground of Afghanistan. Presidency is a really tough job. It's a really, really tough job, and circumstances like this are even tougher. I'm sure a lot of people would say, when you make bad decisions, the job gets even tougher as well. But it was one of those things where I just was watching last yesterday an old man who had managed to achieve his life's dream, something he had been craving and yearning since 1988, 
Greg, if I'm going to guess, you and I were either in beginning of high school or middle school at that time, right? This is what he's won. He's gotten the crown. He's gotten the prize. And now it's horrible. Now it's terrible. Now it's painful. And I just, it's, he's just not up to it. He just seems overwhelmed by it. I, I don't know how much the stock we should put into the, the question from Peter Ducey. And by the way, if you don't like Peter Ducey, every White House press corps needs one person who's willing to be, if not the jerk, then the person who's asking the toughest question in the least sympathetic way. Maybe in the past, you might have thought it was uh, Jake Tapper. He gave you know, some uh, grief to the Obama administration in the first term. Um, so the Washington Post had a guy, you could tell the moment it would, you could tell from every headline and every opening paragraph, which guy it was. It's kind of a jerk. He wore the, the hunting outfit on Keith Olbermann's show. Oh, yeah. What the heck was his name? Well, his work is unforgettable. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, so it's fine. You know, to me, Peter Ducey has decided he's going to be that guy. Good for you, Peter Ducey. I, you know, we don't need everybody in the White House press corps having the exact same, you know, in your face, tough question attitude. Um, but it's good to have somebody there who will basically look at every presidential statement as if it's a lie and challenge the president to back up what he's saying. And at one point, you know, Bi Biden quickly gets into it. And he seems really eager to say, this is Trump's fault. This is Trump's fault. And there's that moment where he just puts his head down. And I can't tell if it's physical exhaustion. I can't tell if it's mental exhaustion. I can't tell if it's emotional exhaustion or exasperation. But he just looked like a beaten man. He just looked like a guy who had just taken too much and not quite punch drunk, but just not steady, not up to the moment. So when he says, you know, we will hunt you and we will find you, we're, we're taking out all our troops. How are we going to do that? Like it, it is just, there's just this utter disconnection. And just one last thing I'll put about the press conference yesterday. One of the questions people have been asking all week was in light of everything we're doing, why did we give up Bagram Air Base? And oh, by the way, why did, we tell, why did we not tell the Afghans before we left like two months ago? And there are various people who say, well, look, Bagram Air Base is a distance away from the heart of the city. It would not be easy for people in Kabul to get to. I, okay, I, these are all fairly legitimate you know, points, but boy, wouldn't we feel better if we had two ways of getting people out of the country instead of just one? Uh, you know, wouldn't, that, you know, wouldn't that make it easier, not just for, you know, say, the Taliban, which may be hostile and trying to prevent Afghans from leaving? Wouldn't it be better to give ISIS-K two places? To, you know, like uh, if, if ISIS-K, God forbid, or somebody with mortars or somebody with anti-aircraft missiles or something, if somebody figured out a way to stop, shut down that airport, we're screwed. We have no other way to get people out of the country unless we have them walk to the border. Biden was asked that, God, he threw the Pentagon under the bus. He just came right out and said, they concluded the military, that Bagram was not much value added. I, I, that, that sounded like BS from the moment I heard it. Uh, but then it turns out if you go to look at General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and what he said last week, quote, if we were to keep both Bagram and the embassy going, that would be a significant number of military forces that would have exceeded what we had or stayed the same or exceeded what we had. So we had to collapse one or the other and a decision was made. Going out of Kabul International Airport was estimated to be a better tactical solution in accordance with the mission set we were given, and I'm emphasizing those words there, and in accordance with getting the troops down to about 600, 700 number. In other words, the administration had decided the Pentagon can keep only 600 to 700 troops in the country. And the Pentagon, with that limit, is like, well, we can protect either Bagram Air Base or we can protect the embassy in Kabul International Airport. Can't do both. 
And the Biden administration, by requiring that, forced the U.S. military to take a weaker position. So now when we're all like, God, it sure would be good to have Bagram Air Base right now, Biden blames the military for recommending the option that he demanded. Either the president is a terrible pathological liar, or he just doesn't remember what he was told, or doesn't remember what he did. Either one is a really terrible option, Greg. Right. And now you have some people wondering, well, who's telling him he has to call on these people in the press conference? And, you know, some people wondering whether, you know, it's time for him to go. And then I'm like, well, do you want a guy who doesn't know where he is or do you want Kamala Harris? I mean, I think you want the guy who doesn't know where he is, which is, might be one of the reasons why he picked her in the first place. But uh, I mean, Greg, are we at the point where it's like, well, Harris would have to pick a Veep. It'd be a 50-50 Senate. Let's see what's behind door number three, because it must be better than this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not good. By the way, I'm sure a couple of you shouted it at the beginning of this part of the conversation. The rest of you may not care. Dana Milbank, I think, is the name we're looking for. There we go. Thank you, Washington Post. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, Jim, it's been a, wow, another difficult week. And next week, of course, Tuesday is the day we're supposed to wrap everything up. And of course, uh, we have to wind down the military's own presence there, much less uh, try to get out uh, whoever else we can here in the next few days. So by the time we reconvene on Monday, uh, the mission is probably going to be scaled down quite a bit. But uh, keep praying for our troops, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it again, I'm sure, on Monday. Have a good weekend, Jim. Have a good weekend, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us. Very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a good weekend. And please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.